In our day, we like to think that we are far more advanced than the generations that have come before us. And clearly, there are some ways that this is true. Our technology, medicine, things like that are far advanced beyond previous generations. But in other ways, we are not really any different than those who have come before us. Consider, for instance, the the culture to which Paul wrote the book of Ephesians when we're doing our studies. One of my commentaries said that Paul's culture was marked by barriers that were erected to keep people divided and separated from one another. And the commentator went on to give some of these barriers. And as I read that, I thought, man, how familiar this is. So I want to share with you what he said were some of the barriers. I want you to think about it and ask, does this sound familiar in our day? That there were social and economic barriers. People in Paul's day were divided between masters and slaves, between the rich and the poor. Now there were times when the slaves were freed, but even in that it was hard for them to rise above that station of being a slave, having been a slave. Uh, The poor, even if they did somehow acquire money, they were very rarely accepted because they had been poor. These social and economic barriers were almost never crossed and the different groups never really intermingled. There were nationalistic barriers. Greeks and Romans had had a deep sense of nationalistic pride. So much so that the statesman, the Roman statesman Cicero wrote, as the Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes. Greeks and barbarians. Now one of the main reasons that Greeks considered all others to be barbarians was because they could not understand their language. One of my commentators said that to the Greeks, all other languages sounded like someone saying bar, bar, bar. Therefore they called them barbarians. The Greeks believed they spoke the language of the gods. And they looked down on people who did not speak their language. There were gender barriers. Women were largely considered to be inferior to men. So much so that women had so few rights, they were rarely treated as different than slaves by their husbands. And there were ethnic barriers. The ethnic barrier of the ancient world we are most likely familiar with is the one between Jew and Gentile. Open your Bible to Ephesians 2, 11, page 896. And we're going to look at, at one statement before we move on. To show this ethnic barrier that existed. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says to them in verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles of the flesh, which are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Right? So there's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's circumcised and there's uncircumcised. Now we can often forget that Gentile, it is an ethnic distinction. The Jews considered themselves to be superior to the Gentiles. So much so that they made no other ethnic distinction. Anybody who was not a Jew was a Gentile as far as they were concerned. But there were only two ethnic groups in their life in the way they thought. There were Jews and not Jews. And Jews held Gentiles in such low esteem that they always described them in derogatory terms. Two of the most terms, the terms they used most common, one was, was dog, which we don't have time to get into, but dogs not like pet like it is today. Dogs were dirty in the Jewish world. They were nasty. To call someone a dog was one of the worst things that you could call them. But the other derogatory term that they called them was what we see in verse 11, uncircumcised or uncircumcision. Now being so far removed from this time, we can miss the contempt that's shown in this term. But think about the name uncircumcision. What does it mean to be uncircumcised? They are calling these people a name that identifies them not as a people, Not as humans, but as a body part. They called men and women this name. How demeaning that must have been. And again, realize this is an ethnic-centered name used to express contempt for a people. Now, do any of those barriers sound familiar to your ears? Are there social and economic barriers in our day. 
Can you think of examples of one social or economic class not wanting to intermingle with those of a different social or economic class? Are there gender barriers in our day? Is there stress and tension between men and women in our time? Are there nationalistic barriers in our day? Can you think of examples of nations who consider themselves to be so superior to other nations that they consider all others to be barbarians? Do ethnic barriers exist today? Can you think of ethnically centered names that are used to express contempt in our time? Well, it makes me think that O King Solomon knew what he was talking about when he said there is no new thing under the sun. Paul's words to the Ephesians in the passage we're going to look at today are just as relevant, just as meaningful, just as challenging for us in our time as it was for the people at the time of the Ephesians. Let's stay. <laughs> Let's stand. One of, my, one of my main fears in preaching, it's a nightmare I repeatedly have, is vomiting while I try to talk. So... <laughs> But that's not what about happened. Okay, let's all stand and we'll read the rest of the passage. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles of the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and to them that are nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed, joined together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The title of the message this morning is One. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our devotion. We come with a desire to be like Jesus. We come with a desire to learn. Heavenly Father, what you have for us. Lord, we want to live in the fullness of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And Lord, there is a oneness that the Bible talks about in this passage that we do not experience in our day. But Lord, we long for it. We long for it because we know that in the kingdom that is to come, this oneness will exist. We long for it because Jesus prayed that all those who believed on His name would be one. You and Him are one. So Father, today open our ears to hear and open our hearts to receive. And Lord, if there are barriers that we have erected to keep us separated from others who are different than us, then, Lord, take the Word and the Spirit today and break those things down. And make us first as a, as a church family. Make us one. And then, Lord, make us to be one with the other churches in our community. That, Lord, we could reach this community for You. Fill me this morning with Your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let me not say anything You don't want said. I don't want to be a hindrance in any way. Have Your way. Let me exalt you. We ask this in Jesus' name for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now clearly the focus of this passage is on the, the, the unity or the oneness of the church of Jesus Christ. Part of the point that Paul is making is that the divisions that our world have have no place within the church of Jesus Christ. And all of this is because of what Christ has done. And so the key truth today that the church is one because of what Christ has done. The church is one because of what Christ has done. And this passage shows us five reasons why the church is one. First, we share one history. Right? He reminds them again in verse 11 that they were Gentiles. 
And because they were Gentiles, essentially they were not part of the people of God. And not being part of the people of God, it brought several realities to bear in their lives. And he explains those in verse 12. Since they were not the people of God, they were without Christ. Now clearly this is not true. This is true not just of Gentiles, but the Jews also were without Christ. But it's all people everywhere are naturally without Christ. He explains that they are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Further emphasizing that they are not the people of God. But it carries with it a bigger implication. They are also strangers and foreigners to Yahweh. They are not a part of the people of God, but they do not know the God of the people. Right? They are separated from Him as well. They are strangers, he says, from the covenants of promise. They were excluded from all the covenants and promises God had given. All of God's covenants, all of God's promises, they are only for those who are part of the people of God. Therefore, to not be a part of the people of God is to have no claims on any of the promises of God. Since they were without God and they had no promises, they were also without hope. Like being aliens from God, excluded from the covenants of promise, they were without God. And without God, because they worshipped the, the false gods, they had no hope. But the Ephesians were idolaters. They were not irreligious when Paul arrived. They were very religious. But they worshipped false gods. And because they worshipped the false gods of the world, their promises would not come to pass because their gods were not real. Therefore, they had no hope at all. And they were without God. God was not their hope. God was not their help. They were all alone in the world, so to speak. And that was their, their history as Ephesians, as Gentiles, before Christ came. The reality is, that is the past of all people before Christ came to them. All who have not repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ have this exact same history. Let's review and see. Without Christ. Well, the first part of having Christ is coming to Christ. And that requires, requires repentance and faith. So if someone has never repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then clearly they do not have Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth. Jesus said He was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. A person who has not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ is a stranger and a foreigner to Yahweh. And again, this is true whether it's someone who worships a false god of their own making, or whether this is someone who's just a good moral person who sees no need for God. If a person has not come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, they are strangers. And they are foreigners to Yahweh. They are strangers to the covenant of promise. Scripture says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. That's the key. All of God's promises will come to pass. All people will experience all of God's promises, all those who are in Christ. Right? That's the key. The only way that all the promises of, of hope and, and life and future and heaven, all of that, all of that is conditioned upon someone repenting of their sins, placing their faith in Jesus Christ. For those who have repented and believed in Jesus, every promise in the book is yours, as the, the kid's song says. You can go through there and you can write, yes and amen. Jesus has guaranteed that is mine. But if a person has not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ, not one of those promises belongs to them. They have no claim, no right to the promises of God without hope. All of these combine to leave the person who has not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ in a pretty sad state. There is no hope in the world to come. They are, as the book says, living their best life now. But in the world to come, there is nothing but the fearful and certain judgment of God. Whatever they hope will save them from the judgment of God will fail. Whatever they hope will usher them into the presence of God will fail. The only way that they can have hope is to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Now this is true 
for all people everywhere who have not repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is true regardless of their social or their economic status. Rich and poor are alike. And that apart from Christ, they have nothing in God. And that the only way they can have the things that are promised is through faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter if they're American or Canadian or Russian or Mexican. Apart from faith in Christ, they are outside the kingdom. Aliens from the commonwealth. Strangers to God. And the only way to overcome that is to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what gender, whether you're a male or a female. If you are a male or a female, you are equally separated from God. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. There is no one ethnicity that is closer to God. There is no one ethnicity that is more Christ-like. There is no one ethnicity that is more right. All are equally separated from God. All are equally apart from Christ. All must repent of their sins and believe in the, Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ if they want to be saved. Why should there be no barriers in the church? Because we have one spiritual history. What we see in verse 12 is for each and every one of us in here this morning. Right now we either are living this or we live this at one point in our life. So how dare we? Think we're better than others who also have that exact same history. How dare we build a wall, a barrier and say, no, no, not you. You have no part here because of what you are. Their history is our history. We have that in common. The church is one because of what Christ has done. He came to undo all of these barriers. Secondly, we share one history. We are bought by one blood. Verse 13, Paul says, but now. Things always change when there's a but. All that they were in verse 12 changes when Jesus comes on the scene. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh. By the blood of Christ. Those who were far are brought near by the blood of Christ. And the the context really indicates that near means into. They were far from the kingdom of God. But they have been brought in to the kingdom of God. The picture is that all the things in verse 12. Are now undone. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who were not the people of God are now made into the people of God. Those who had no part in the covenants of God are now made a part of the covenants of God. Those who had no promises of God now can claim the promises of God. Those who had no hope in God now have hope in God. Those who didn't know God now can know the God of heaven. All of this was accomplished by the blood of Christ. That's a key point. Everything we're going to talk about here is something that Jesus accomplished on the cross. So when we erect the barriers that were torn down, you could say that's a sin against the blood of Christ because it is by His blood He has torn these things away. So what did the blood of Christ do for us as it brought us nigh? In verse 14 it said that he is, he is our peace. Now, Typically when we think about Jesus giving us peace or making peace in us. We think in terms of him making peace between us and God. Or him making peace within our heart or in our soul. Truly those are things that are often spoken of in scripture. And they are probably the most common associations in scripture. But they are not what's meant here. But look at what he says. For he is our peace who hath made both one. So what is both? Jew and Gentile. 
But the peace that He has made is between Jew and Gentile. That He has ended the has broken down the, the middle wall and the partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the, the enmity or the hostility that existed. Jesus has made peace between all the things that the world has tried to divide. All of the walls that the world erects to separate us, to divide us, Jesus broke down on the cross. And as He not only broke it down, He didn't break it down so that we would all be there together angry and disliking one another. No, He he broke them down and He ended the hostility. He brought peace so that we would be one. That there would not be the sort of separation and distinctions that the world wants to give. Particularly here, he talks about Jew and Gentile. And those were big distinctions, big breaks in this day. But keep in mind that Gentile is not a mono-ethnic thing. All ethnic groups who are not Jew are Gentile. Right, the peace that Jesus bought with His blood broke down the wall of separation. It made everyone one. But not only between the, the big ethnic groups of Jew and Gentile, but also between the different ethnic groups that would fall under the heading of Gentile. The dividing wall between the various ethnic groups has been broken down. And all have been made one through the blood of Christ. And in this peace, He has ended the the hostility. He has ended the the enmity between them. Now, there was a legitimate hostility between Jews and Gentiles in in this time. The Old Testament. I mean, think about the Old Testament. How many wars are there? Essentially, the wars are between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles legitimately hated each other. Now, Paul writes... Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. Right, so the law was a big part of this hostility. And it was for two reasons, kind of. One is, there were laws that said, keep separate from the Gentiles. Don't worship their gods. Don't marry their women. Don't marry their men. Don't make treaties with them. But the reason was, the Gentiles were largely pagan, or they were they were pagan, right? And so, don't work, don't don't have a community service where you worship Yahweh and Baal together. Don't, don't do that. Don't let your your son, who has been raised to be a, a Jew devoted to Yahweh, don't let him marry the Baal priest's wife, daughter. Don't let your daughter, who has been raised to follow Yahweh, don't let her marry. The son of the priest of Molech. Don't even make treaties with them. You are to be separate from them. That was the law. Also, there was a hostility because the Gentiles just really didn't like people who kept the law. They just didn't like people who were different. And the Jews didn't really like people who didn't keep the law. They didn't like people who were different. That's the Cliff Notes versions of how the, the hostility came because of the law. But Jesus abolished that hostility, that enmity. But how did He do it? In His flesh. Again, that is a reference to the cross. The cost of abolishing the enmity between Jew and Gentile. It is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He did that in part because He fulfilled the law. But in His sinless life, He fulfilled all of the moral commands of Scripture. In His sacrificial death, He fulfilled all of the requirements of the sacrificial law. And so in doing this, Jesus again, He ended that. He took those things that made us separate away so that we would be one. He abolished the dividing wall and the hostility between all the divisions of the world. So not just Jew and Gentile, but also between social and economic groups, between nationalities, between genders, and between ethnicities, making us all one. So why 
Should there not be the dividing walls in the church of Jesus Christ? Because we are all bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. How can I look at another person who is washed in the blood, redeemed through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, and say, no, a barrier between you and I. I have nothing to do with you because you're different than me. Shame on us if we do that. The blood of Christ has made us one. So there's no barriers. Jesus has, the church is one because Christ is one. We share one history. We are bought by one blood. And we have been made into one body. So why did Jesus make peace and abolish the dividing wall between us? Look at what he goes on to say at the end of verse 15. For to make of himself, make to himself of twain one new man, so making peace. He did it so that we would be one. The picture is prior to coming to Christ, there are these walls dividing people. There were in their day, and there are in our day, right? I mean, we would all say all of those walls are familiar. And they're there when you're in the world, prior to Christ. Then Jesus came because of his suffering and through his bloody and brutal death on the cross. He he breaks down the walls and he makes all of these different divided peoples into one new and united group. So instead of many, there's one. Instead of enmity, there's peace. Now, one reason the dividing wall and the hostility of the differing groups shouldn't exist is because we we all have the same need, right? I mean, we, we all have the same spiritual need because we are all verse 12. And Jesus came to reconcile us, right? Because there's not only a, a wall that separates person to person, but he also but there's also a wall that separates Person to God. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. But we we often forget that sin builds a barrier between people and God. And it's a barrier of separation, but it's also a barrier of hostility. Right, Like Colossians will say that we are enemies of God through our wicked works and evil thoughts. And it's not that so much that, that God is our enemy. That's really not the picture. The picture is that we are God's enemy. Right? God is the sovereign king and ruler over the world. And as such, he has the right to say this is what's right. And this is what's wrong. And sin is saying to God, you ain't going to tell me what to do. I'll do my own thing. I'll go where I want to go. I'll say what I want to say. I'll do whatever I want to do. You will not rule over me. That is an act of hostility against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is an act of of treason. And it makes us It's almost like a declaration of war. You will not control or rule me. And we make ourselves his enemy. And that sin, it is in all people. All people, regardless of their social or economic status, have made themselves the enemies of God by their sins. All people of all nationalities have made themselves the enemies By their sins. All people of all genders have made themselves their enemies by their sin. All people of all ethnicities made themselves God's enemy by their sin. And this, whatever other divisions might exist in our world, they've all made themselves God's enemies by their sin. And they all stand in need of that enmity being brought to an end. And the only way that can happen is through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus came to end 
the separation and the hostility between us and God by reconciling us to God. We are reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. And when this happens, our relationship with God radically changes. Instead of being separated from God, we are adopted children of God. Instead of being hostile toward God, we are lovingly submitted to God. This is all done by Christ and this is all done through Christ. And all those who are reconciled to God by Christ are now part of this this one new body, the church. And in this body, all the dividing walls are broken down to the point that it no longer matters if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a barbarian. These divisions don't matter because of what Christ has done in us and for us all. Christ is all that matters. Jesus has made us into something that is radically different than we were before. We were Jews, or we were Gentiles, or we were Americans, or we were Africans, or we were rich, or we were poor. And then Jesus comes, and He makes us into something new, an entirely new creation. We are Christians individually in the church Corporately. And since we are made in this new creation. We are able to have peace and oneness. Because the stuff that divides us. No longer matters. Within the church we have Jesus in common. And that is what matters. Jesus has shed his blood on our behalf. Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has reconciled us to God and to one another. Jesus has taken us from outside the kingdom and He has brought us into the kingdom and made us the children of God. And because we have Christ in common, the walls are down. Because having Christ in common is more important than what the things the world would use to try to divide us. Having Christ in common is greater than social or economic differences. Scripture frequently references this by telling slaves, you are free in Christ. And telling masters, remember, you're the slave of Christ. Scripture reminds the rich of their spiritual poverty, and it reminds the poor of their spiritual riches. Why? So these groups will not look down on one another, but they will see themselves as one. Equals. It's a part of one body. National differences. Christ in common is greater than national differences. Do you know what Isaiah says in comparison to God? All the nations of the world are like a drop in the bucket or like dust on the scales. It's a picture of insignificance in comparison to God. All nations are equally insignificant in comparison to Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. Having Christ in common is greater than gender differences. Jesus has redeemed men and women. Jesus has reconciled men and women to God. Jesus has made men and women trophies of God's grace. Men and women are disciples of Jesus who are gifted by the Spirit to extend the kingdom of God. One is not more necessary or more important than the other. Having Jesus in common is greater than ethnic differences. Revelation tells us that one day we will sing a new song unto the Lord. And in this song, we will praise Jesus for redeeming people from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. And they will all be there equally before God. No one ethnicity will be elevated over the other. There will not be separation between them. All are together. All are before the throne. All are worshiping God. And if I was going to meddle, I would say that having Jesus in common is greater than political differences. Politics is dividing and destroying not just the nation, but the church. Within the church of Jesus Christ, believers fuss and fight over one political party, over one political politician. And it should not be so. For Jesus in common is greater than having republicanism in common. 
Jesus in common is greater than having democratism in common. Jesus in common is greater than having libertarianism in common. Jesus in common is greater than having no politics in common. Jesus in common is what matters. And having Jesus in common is even greater than denominational differences. There are many different denominations within the body of Christ. Within these different denominations, there is a wide variety of theological issues where we disagree. But what we have in common in Christ is more important than on the minor things that we disagree on. Jesus in common is more important. In His death, Jesus broke down the dividing walls of hostility that separate us. When we rebuild these walls to separate from those who are not like us, and when we are hostile towards those who are not like us, particularly those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we are acting more like like pagans who do not know Jesus, then we are those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In this world, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil do everything in their power to rebuild the dividing walls of hostility that Christ broke down and abolished through His blood. They will use the media. They will use our personal prejudices. They will use fear. They will use pride. And anything else they can to cause us to rebuild the dividing walls of hostility. We must not allow this. We must not allow the world to build walls that Christ has broken down. We must not undo in our life what Christ has wrought in His death. Having Christ in common is greater than anything MSNBC is going to tell us should divide us today. Having Christ in common is greater than anything Fox News is going to tell us should divide us today. Having Christ in common, we have been made into one body. The church is one because of what Christ has done. We share one history. We are bought by one blood. We've been made into one body. And we bring one message. The reality of redemption and reconciliation and peace that was achieved by Christ on the cross, it must be preached to all people, regardless of their class, their nation, their gender, or their ethnicity. Look at verse 17. Came and preached peace unto you who were afar off and to them who were nigh. The picture is that as we proclaim this message, it's as though Christ were preaching it through us. There's lots of testimony of this in Scripture. Luke 10 and 16, Jesus says that when you go and speak, that those who hear you hear me, those who reject you reject me. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, Paul says that it's as though Christ Himself were speaking through us and we plead with you to be reconciled to God. So we have a message of redemption and reconciliation and peace through Christ. And here Paul says it was preached to those who were far off, to those who were not Jews and Gentiles. The principle for us is that redemption, reconciliation, and peace through Christ, it must be preached to all people everywhere. It must be proclaimed to those who are socially and economically different than us and those who are socially and economically like us. It must be preached to those who are nationally like us and those who are nationally different from us. It must be preached to those who are of the same gender that we are, and those who are not of our gender. It must be preached to those who are ethnically like us, and those who are ethnically different from us. It must be preached to those who are politically like us, and those who are politically different from us. And it must be preached to those who are nominally religious, and to those who have a vastly different religion from us. All people need to hear this message of redemption, and reconciliation and peace through Christ. We proclaim the twofold message redemption and peace. Peace with the Redeemer and peace with the redeemed. We proclaim this redemption and reconciliation and peace that it's only available through Jesus Christ. That only Christ can redeem, only Christ can save, only Christ can give peace. Everything comes through Christ. Look at verse 18. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. 
Unto Christ we are given access to the Father by means of the Spirit. We receive the Spirit through Christ. We are given access to the Father through Christ. The Spirit enables or empowers us to connect with the Father. Everything comes through Christ. Now look at verse 19. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. This is kind of a, a picture of a total reversal. Everything from verse 12 that you were is now been undone by Jesus Christ. To say the gospel is good news of great joy is an accurate statement. We bring good news and great joy in our message. We must never let the world convince us that the gospel is anything but good news and great joy. But we must also not let the world shape our gospel message. We cannot let the world change our gospel message. Jesus is the message. Not morals are not the message. Politics are not the message. Nationalism is not the message. Inclusivism is not the message. The message is Jesus and what He has done. Why does the church one? Because we have the same message. We are all taking the same message that we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another through the blood of Christ. The church is one because of what Christ has done. Share one history, bought by one blood, made into one body, we bring one message, and then finally we are built on one foundation. It says in verse 20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. The idea of apostles and prophets being the foundation refers to their teaching. Therefore, it would be Scripture, what we have in Scripture. Uh, we find this, really that idea of the, of the Scripture being the foundation all throughout the New Testament. We find in Acts 2.42, the fledgling, fledgling church devoted itself to the apostles' doctrine. Jesus Himself taught us that we're to build our lives on the right foundation. And what was that foundation? It was His Word. So the Word is the foundation. We have that same foundation. And Christ is the cornerstone. Now I know nothing about building anything. And I know nothing about it at all. So all that I know about what a cornerstone is comes from my commentaries. And my commentaries tell me that a chief cornerstone has two purposes. First, it must be everything must be lined up with it. Right? So Scripture is our foundation but what meaning we pull from Scripture must always line up with Jesus. Who He is and what He's done. So any meaning of Scripture that minimizes the cross or minimizes the blood or minimizes His resurrection, well, that's not Jesus. That's not Scripture. That's meaning added to it, not script meaning pulled from it. Any meaning of Scripture that minimizes the necessity of repentance for sin and faith in Jesus is meaning added to it, not meaning pulled from it. Any meaning of Scripture that minimizes the uniqueness of Christ for salvation, it is meaning that is added to it, not meaning that is pulled from it. Everything must line with Jesus. And in the same way, any meaning of Scripture that elevates one social or economic group over another that it elevates one nation over another, one gender over another, one ethnicity over another. Any interpretation of Scripture that seeks to rebuild hostile dividing walls that Christ tore down with His death is meaning that is added to Scripture and not meaning that is pulled from Scripture. second idea of a cornerstone is that it binds everything together. Verse 21 says, In whom all the building fitly framed together Groweth to a holy temple in the Lord. The church is built together, held together by Christ. People from all social or economic classes, all nations, all genders, all ethnicities are brought together, held together, and are united together in Christ. They have the same history. They've been bought by the same blood. They've been made into the same body. They have the same message. They're built on the same foundation. So they are one in Christ. You know, in the 
prayer of Jesus that I read at the start of the service. Jesus said that we would be one so that the world would know that the Father sent Him and the Father loved Him. Do you think that if we're all just alike in our ethnicity, in our nationality, in our politics, in our gender, and we get along and we focus on that, does the world go, wow, that's amazing. They're all just alike and they get along. Wow, that has to be a God thing. The world's not surprised by that at all, is it? You know what's surprising? is when we can get together and we can be so vastly different. We have so much that we are not alike on. We are not the same nationality. We are not the same ethnicity. We have different politics. We're different genders. We we came from different religious backgrounds. But when we come here, we lay all of that aside. And we say, Jesus is what matters. The world will say, man. There must be something supernatural that overcomes all of those differences. That they have so that they can be one. That's the picture. That's the point. The church is meant to be a picture of what heaven will be like in some ways. Because in heaven, all of those walls are broken down. All of those walls will not matter. In heaven, there will be the redeemed of Christ. Praising and worshiping Christ, the Redeemer. And on heaven, it's meant to, on earth, it's meant to be that way as well. Now, what happens when the church is this way? Look at what it says. You're fitted together into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also build it together for a habitation of God through His Spirit. We, we prayed this morning, we're going to pray Wednesday night for, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do we want that? Then guess what? We have to be one. The Holy Spirit comes to make peace, to to be peace. He's not going to come to a fractured, broken, wall-building church. He comes to a church that breaks down those walls, lives in light of what Christ has done, and says, you are different than me, but you are my brother, you are my sister, and that matters most. We want to be a church that Christ would use, that the Spirit would dwell, where people could come and they would know the presence of God was here. We must be one. That is what Christ intends. That is what He plans. And we must do what needs to be done to ensure that's who we are. Church is one because of what Christ has done. If I was going to have a sixth point, I don't, so don't be afraid, but if I was, I would say we also have one future. One day we will, as the 23rd Psalm says, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On that day there won't be a separate heaven for people of different social or economic classes. For there won't be social or economic classes. There will be the redeemed of the Lord. There won't be a separate heaven for people of different nationalities. For there won't be nationalities. There will be the kingdom of God. There won't be a heaven for people of different ethnicities. There won't be a different heaven for people of different genders. There won't be free will Baptist heaven and southern Baptist heaven. There won't be Republican heaven and Democrat heaven. There's going to be heaven. And we're all together. And we're all one. And we're all worshiping the Lord. There will just be heaven. The tribe and nation and people and language that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are together worshiping God. And I just want to end by saying... If we can't do that here, what would make heaven so great for us? If here, I want all of these walls built up, why do I want in heaven? 
Because in heaven, my prejudices aren't going to matter. Jesus could care less about those things that I care about like that. And if here, I must have those walls and I must build them up. I am rebuilding what Christ has destroyed through his death. And in all honesty, I must ask myself, have I been reconciled to God? Have I been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? We must work being one. First here, as a local body of believers, we're a lot alike. I'm in the Free Will Baptist Church. But there are differences between us here. So there must be oneness here. And as new people come in, they must be accepted, even if they're vastly different than us. Because we're one in Christ. It, it then has to spread. And it has to spread in our community. Our community is filled with people who are lost and headed to hell. And this church ain't going to reach them all by ourselves. The Nazarene church ain't going to reach them all by themselves. New life on Main Street ain't reaching them all by themselves. We have to be able to work together with our brothers and sisters down the street. And we're not all going to come together and just be one big church in Guyman. It's not going to happen. But we must be willing to work together to reach our community for Christ. And there's on and on bigger ways that we can do it, but the reality is if we can't do it in here and in our town, the bigger ways won't matter because we certainly can't do it out there. We must yield to the oneness that Christ has for us. We must let the blood of Christ break down the walls that it was meant to break down. We must let the cross of Christ break down, abolish the walls that it was meant to break down. So this morning as we have a time of prayer, we all need to search our hearts. Because the reality is, oneness as it talks about here, it's not necessarily easy. Everything in this world tells us to build walls to make ourselves separate. So we need to examine our hearts. Lord, where am I rebuilding walls? Where am I rebuilding what Christ has broken down? Seek forgiveness. Pray that the blood would wash over that and break down that wall in my heart. And that I would be willing to be one in body, one in church, with people who are very, very different than me because we are all bought the blood of the Lamb. Let's have a time of prayer.